Well, hello. Uh, my name is Penny, and I am the pastor here at Christ the King Presbyterian Church. And I'm glad that we can uh, continue to provide this uh, virtual worship service, even while we are apart, even while we are distant. It is good that even though we are distant and we cannot see one another and we cannot be with one another, that we can still uh, be united together around God's word. And the portion of God's word that we're going to be looking at today comes from the book of 1 Samuel. It's 1 Samuel chapter 17. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. In just a moment, uh, the passage will be projected on the screen in front of you. So we're looking at 1 Samuel 17, and I imagine that if we could go back in time, if we could go back the many weeks, the few months ago when we first began this series in 1 Samuel, if we could go back in time and I could take a poll, and I could ask everyone I know and others around me, what is the, the one thing or what is the event or the story or the character that you know comes from 1 Samuel? I guarantee you, amongst all the things we might hear, the number one response that we would hear is the story of David and Goliath. There's no question in my mind. There's no question because this is such a familiar story. You see, whether you learned of the story of David and Goliath as a child in Sunday school with flannel boards, you, you remember those kids' flannel boards? Uh, for, for modern day kids, flannel boards are kind of like whiteboards, except you can't draw on them and they have cloth on them and you stick stuff. Like, just, just ask your parents. They'll, they'll know what I'm talking about. But whether you learned about this story in, in Sunday school as a child with flannel boards, or whether you didn't grow up in the church and you just know the story of David and Goliath because it has seeped into our cultural moment, we all know David and Goliath. We've all heard the story. It's such a familiar tale. And now, after weeks of being in 1 Samuel, after 16 chapters, we come to this famous encounter. And as we come to it in our passage today, it would be very easy for us to just think, well, well, I've heard it, I've known it, I've read it every single year maybe for decades. I've, I've known it from the time I was a child. Be easy for us to think that and think maybe the Lord has nothing new to share with us. Maybe there's nothing new for me to see in this passage. But I want to encourage us. That even in the midst of the familiar, that the Lord often will use those familiar stories, those, those parts of scripture that we know and we love and we can recite and we can cling to. He will use those in our hearts to reveal himself again, to show him his grace again. And so that's what I'm hoping that he would do again today. And so in that vein, I'm going to pray before we read this passage and just ask the Lord to open our eyes afresh, to open our eyes so that we would see again his grace and his love for his people. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I'm thankful that we can come to it now, and I pray that as we do come to it, that you would open our eyes that you would help us to see the beauty in this familiar story and that we would know what it means to follow you. God, you are our God. And so we ask that you would use your word to minister to us and that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts to please you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's read 1 Samuel 
We'll begin in verse 1, and I'm only going to read portions of the passage since it's so long. In verse 1, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soka, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soka and Azekah in Ephesdemim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Then when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And skip ahead to verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, shortly after I graduated from college, I did uh, campus ministry for about four years. I spent time on college campuses, ministering the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, doing Bible studies, teaching uh, how to read the scriptures, how to pray, doing those various things. And, and I remember in, those, in that season, one of my friends, Andy, who wasn't on staff, he, he volunteered with us in our campus ministry. He, he would go on to the campus with us and he would engage with college students. And I remember Andy. Andy was uh, a little bit shorter than me. In fact, he was significantly shorter than me. Andy's kind of a small guy, very thin, very lean. He ran in high school, and he continued to run throughout college. And so he was this tiny guy, and, and Andy kind of would poke fun at his size, at his stature, or lack thereof. And, and I remember that there was this T-shirt he would like to wear. It was a VeggieTales T-shirt, which is kind of funny. It's kind of I mean, it's actually really strange, right? This adult man wearing a VeggieTales t-shirt, but, but nonetheless, he, he wore it. And, and it was this t-shirt with uh, junior asparagus on it. 
Junior Asparagus is one of the younger and smaller of the VeggieTales characters. And, and on the t-shirt um, above Junior Asparagus, it had the words, even little guys can do big things. And Andy, being a little guy, liked to wear this shirt around. Even little guys can do big things. And that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, that, that sounds pretty, pretty good. It sounds right. It sounds hopeful. That, that you don't have to be this massive hulking figure to accomplish big things or great things. You don't have to be this big guy. You don't have to be tall and strong or have great stature because even little guys can do big things. And that phrase, I think, sometimes is how we think about this passage. When we think of David and Goliath, we think of this little guy who takes on this big giant. Right? That's how it's often portrayed in our cultural stories. Right? We talk about these David and Goliath events, these David and Goliath stories like Hoosiers or Rudy or every March Madness. Right? The 16 team is going up against the number one team, and it's a matchup of David and Goliath. Will the little guy beat the big guy? Will the underdog defeat the powerful, the strong, and the mighty? Will even the little guy do the big thing? That's how we often think of this story. But, but what if that's not the primary takeaway from this story? Now, absolutely, David is a little guy, especially in comparison to the giant Goliath. But what if, what if David and Goliath really isn't about the little guy beating up on the big guy? You see, this story is actually less about the little guy rising up and finding courage and unknown strength, and it is more about faith and where faith is placed. That's what this passage is ultimately about. But our passage doesn't begin with faithfulness. It actually begins with faithlessness. Our passage begins with faithful, faithlessness. Now, here's the setting. We read some of it. The, the armies of the Philistines are on one mountain, and, and the army of Israel is on the other, and there is a valley that separates the two. And into this valley walks the champion of the Philistines, Goliath, this giant. He is the Philistine champion. Now that word champion, it, it means the man between. Literally, that's what it means. That Goliath is this one who's going to stand between the army of the Philistines and the army of Israel. He is the man between. And it's getting at the idea that instead of these two armies coming and meeting in battle, that Goliath would represent the Philistines and there would be another champion of Israel to come forth and represent them. I mean, Goliath says it in verse 8. Choose a man for yourselves. And let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. You see, he's calling forth an Israel champion to do hand-to-hand -hand combat with. So who would Israel's champion be? Who is the one who should step forth and take responsibility? Well, it's Saul, the king. He's the one who should be the champion of Israel. I mean, do you remember how he was first described when he was made the king of Israel? It was said that, that from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Saul was the tallest man in all of Israel. Now, he was still shorter than Goliath, but, but still he was tall and 
surely he would have been strong, and so he is their best bet. And even more than that, even more than just his stature, in chapter 9, when God called on Samuel to anoint Saul the king, he said of the king that he was to save the people from the hands of the Philistines. You see, the king, his part of his responsibility was to represent Israel and to go to battle and to lead them into war and to be their champion, the one who stands in between. So what does Saul do when this challenge is laid before him? Well, Saul takes one look at Goliath, and he was intimidating, over nine feet tall, armor that weighed 126 pounds, a spearhead that weighed 15 or so pounds. He's strong and powerful and tall, more so than anyone else in all of Israel. And when Saul took a look at Goliath, we're told in verse 11, that when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Saul cowered in fear. And so in his fear, he actually abdicates his responsibility because we're told in verse 25 that Saul promised to enrich the man who kills the giant with great riches and he would give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So do you see what Saul's doing? Well, he doesn't want to go to battle against the giant because he's sure that he's going to lose. And so he's trying to to coax someone else and he promises riches and a wife, and not just any wife, but, but, but the daughter of the king. I mean, think about the privileges that might bring about. And, and to allow this champion, whoever he might be, to, have, to be free in all of Israel. This means that they wouldn't have had to pay taxes. So think about that. Riches, no taxes, a wife. He's trying to coax them. He's trying to encourage someone to step forth, but, but no one comes. And Why? Because they do the math. It it doesn't matter how much wealth you have or or how wonderful your wife is or how free you are from taxes. If you are dead, you can't spend that money. And so no one steps forth. He looks for someone to take his place, but no one's willing to do it. You see, Saul wanted someone else to be the champion. Saul looks at the giant And what we see in Saul is a faithless champion. He's a faithless champion. But though the king is faithless, a faithful champion does come. So David sends, or David is sent by his father Jesse to the battlefield to bring provisions to his three older brothers. Now this is interesting because it it means that David wasn't part of the army. And so that gives us insight into how old David probably was, because to be a part of the army, you had to be 20 years old. The book of Numbers tells us that. And so you were conscripted into the army at 20, and so that means that David, the youngest of Jesse's sons, was probably a teenager. Maybe 15, 16, we're not sure, but, but he's less than 20. And so David, he comes and he brings these this provision, and this teenager, he arrives, and he hears the giant mocking, and he says in verse 26, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? There's a couple things that are interesting about this. 
The first thing that I want to point out is the fact that this is David's first recorded words in all of Scripture. When I realized that, it just seemed like that, that couldn't be right. I mean, we're 17 chapters into the book of 1 Samuel, and we think of 1 Samuel as being the story of David. And we already were, we were already introduced to him in chapter before, and yet we have not heard his voice. But when we do hear his voice, what do we hear? What is his concern? His concern is for the glory of God. His concern is for God's name. We heard it. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, David stands before the army, this teenager, this youngest and smallest of Jesse's sons. He stands before the army of Israel and he declares his faith in the Lord. And his concern for God's name causes him to go to Saul. And as he goes to Saul, he tells Saul he will fight, but, but Saul takes one look at this young boy, and he remembers what he's seen of the giant. And so he says to David in verse 33, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. You see, Saul isn't convinced that David has any chance against Goliath. In fact, Saul's convinced that David's just going to get squashed. It'd be like a child going up against a heavyweight boxer. The, the boxer will destroy the child, and David is going to get destroyed by Goliath. But David isn't, isn't set back by Saul's concern. He's full of confidence, and he recounts how he battled lions and bears, and how he took, when the lion or the bear took the lamb, that he would chase after him and even grab the lion or the bear by the beard. And he would strike them down and kill them. And as he gives his speech for why he can go against this giant, David concludes, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Do you hear that? Do you hear what David is saying? David is, has something more than confidence. David has something better than courage. David has faith. Did you hear it? He didn't say, no, 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 Saul, you got it all wrong. Like, I know I'm sure, I know I'm small, but, but man, I, I, I pack quite a punch. He didn't say, like, I'm, I'm wiry and I'm fast and I can move and I'm agile. No, 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 just trust me. He didn't say all these things. He said, the Lord delivered me. The Lord delivered me against the bear and the lion, and the Lord will deliver me against this giant. He has faith in the Lord. I love this. David is remembering God's deliverance in the past as grounds for why he has faith in the present. God saved him before. He delivered him before. He had been faithful before. And so God will be faithful again. So David has now declared his faith in God, in the power of God, in the the might of God before the army of Israel and before Saul, but now he's going to declare it before the giant. Because David goes out into the field of battle, and he stands before the giant, not with a sword or spear, but just with five smooth stones and a sling. And he hears the taunt of the giant, and David responds in verse 45, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, 
the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And we know what happens. We know what happens. David goes out and he flings the stone and it whizzes through the air and it strikes the giant and he crumbles to the ground and David picks up his sword and lops off his head. He does the very thing that he declared he would do. The battle actually is so short. If we were to read it, it's just a couple of verses. It's almost anticlimactic. There's, there's very little attention given to the details of the battle because, because the battle was already won. Because the battle isn't the, 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 the climax of the scene. The climax is David's declaration of faith that the Lord is the one who is going into battle. That the Lord is the one who will defeat the giant. You see, the most important thing is not David's strength or his ingenuity. The most important thing is faith. Faith in the Lord. And so what does this have to do with us? What does this mean for you and me? Well, here, maybe some of us would want to say, want to ask, well, well who is your giant? Right? What is the Goliath in your life that you need courage to approach? Maybe that's where some of us are starting to go in our heads. Maybe we've heard people ask that question. Let me just say, that, that is not the first question we should ask when we read this passage. That's not even like the tenth question we should ask when we come to this passage. Because in this passage, we're not David. We're the people on the hill who are afraid. Who look on the giant and are fearful. And we know about fear. Fear about our health. Fear about our children. Fear about our jobs. We know about fear. What, what we are in need of isn't more courage or more strength. What we are in need of is a champion. A champion greater than David. You see, friends, don't miss this. David was the representative of Israel in that day. And he was the one who stood with faith before the giant. And he was the one who went to battle. But the ultimate champion in this passage isn't David. It is the Lord. Because this story isn't ultimately about the little guy doing big things. It's about the one in whom David has placed his faith. Because David's faith hasn't been in his strength or his creative military approach to this battle. His faith is in the Lord. The Lord who fights and the Lord who delivers and the Lord who saves. And y'all, that's what this passage is calling us to do. To put our faith in the Lord who saves because he has saved. For Jesus is the one who stepped forward as God's representative. And Jesus is the one who stepped forward when we were in need of a champion. And he fought on our behalf and he saved us. Not by sword or spear, but by taking the sword upon himself. And bringing a victory that not even David could bring. A victory over sin. And so friends people of God. 
The question isn't, where are your giants? The question is, where is your faith? Don't put it in yourself. But today and tomorrow and all of our days, put your faith in the King who is our faithful champion. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have sent our Lord Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is the one who reigns even today on David's throne, and who is our champion, who is the one who has gone to battle on our behalf and has won the victory. And so we pray that you would strengthen our faith, that you would turn our eyes towards him, and that we would place our faith in Christ, our King. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.